Hello, everybody. Today we have a very special guest with us. He hails from the streets of Karachi. Mm-hmm. Um, Pakistani, Australian comedian, writer, broadcaster, um, journalist as well. Comes under broadcast, I guess. Okay, doer of things. I saw it on your Instagram yeah, this yeah. day. Doer of things. I think you're a truly multi-talented person, Sammy. And welcome to Game of Life sixth episode. This is the sixth cool. episode we've got. And thank you so much for being here, Sammy. My pleasure. Thanks for asking and me. Supporting the new kids on the block. Yeah, yeah. Who's been? Who's in the first five? Okay, so I'll, I'll give you a quick, yeah, yeah. Um, quick intro on us. Right? Mm-hmm. So me and Dan work together. And in? One, uh, so we work at a warehouse. Okay. Work in logistics. Yeah, yeah. In logistics five, is vague. It is very vague. <laughs> warehouse is, va- is vague. <laughs> vague. What does that mean? It's, okay. Dispatching, if that if that is that precise? Yeah, but for whom and what? <laughs> oh, okay. What are you dispatching? I don't. I just want to know if I'm a part of like an organ harvesting scheme or like what is <laughs> no. this? Because you're being very dodgy. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> yes, we, we're trying to hide ourselves and we're trying to be like uh, this is our new identity now. Yeah, yeah. So we're running enough. away from what we came. from. Most podcasters are doing that. <laughs> doing that? Yeah, I can assure you. Yeah. Was there a part of your life that you actually did that ever? ever you, most of my life has been life? running away from myself. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so me and Dan working together, right? Okay. One fine day, um, I'll come came, uh, see Dan with the headphones on. Dan's like, what are you listening to? I said, well, I'm listening to this podcast. I was like, Dan, I wish I had my own podcast. I said, yeah. let's start a podcast. That's man. literally how podcasts are born. That's Did you it. say, I wish I had my own podcast and the government gives you one? And this asshole <laughs> in a week <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. came with a studio. Nice. I had no idea about stupid old studios. Yeah, yeah. He said, how do you think, what do you think about the studio? It's like, man, this is such a cool idea. I said, do you want to do one episode and see how we go? He's like, okay, let's do it. Yeah. And we sat down and we had such a fun time. I realized I, I felt very comfortable coming here and talking. I, I love that. Yeah. I love that about the the method of this podcast where you can just talk to people and realize, you know, sure. get new perspectives. And that's it. We, we did first two episodes, me and Dan. Okay. Third, one of the guys who worked with us. Fourth as well. So that first two, that we are actually comfortable. Okay. Third and fourth, we're actually comfortable with the guest. And fifth, like, I'm ready. Let's call Josh. <laughs> nice. And he, 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 he takes care of all the scheduling of the guests. Yeah, yeah. So that's how we got here and that's how we got cool. you as well. Sammy. Yeah, happy to be on board. But uh, nice. more, that, uh, more detail. I'm glad. Yeah. Yes, now, right. now I know what I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know what you're yeah. in, and uh, that's why I said new kids on the block. Yeah, for sure. We're very new at this, and thank you for coming here. Man. Oh, pleasure. Yeah, we were all new kids on the block at some point. Yeah. I was going through Instagram just mm. to see what you're up to, and I saw this very strange photo with you attached with electrodes. Oh yeah, that's what, right. What's that about? <laughs> that sleep study. Uh, no, that's my suicide bomber test. Yeah. <laughs> yes. no, oh, I, yeah. um, no, I uh, basically yeah, sleep study. I have. I'm 44 year old Pakistani man. I have sleep apnea. Of yes. course I do. Um, if you don't, then you'd live your life wrong. Yeah. And so yeah, I I snore horrendously. I, I, I basically I die multiple times in a night, which is what sleep apnea is. And so um, I decided you know it would be nice to not have you know casual death while sleeping. <laughs> and I I got a sleep study test done with this they put all these electrodes on you they snap all these things to you they put the wires up your nose they put them like on your legs on your chest on your arms and everything and then they say okay now go home and sleep and you're like i can't i'm horrendously uncomfortable every part of me hurts and itches and it's whatever and it doesn't hurt but it just is uncomfortable and so i slept i I don't think I slept that night. I just lay in bed all night furious at the fact that the technology isn't better than this. Yeah. And then the next morning, it gives them everything back. And uh, it's been three weeks. I still haven't heard from them. It so. Was a, so it was like a recording device that was attached to all those wires as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was strapped to my chest. Like, I properly looked like a suicide bomber. Like, literally, <laughs> wow. uh, it would if have been... If you took your shirt, I was like... No. If I went to an airport, they You're would, canceled. They would yeah. shit themselves, <laughs> for sure. Um, I, but, yeah, who knows? They'd, look, they'd probably come back and say, yeah, you do die a lot, and you yeah. need to get a let sleep apnea machine. Uh, what are they called? Um, uh, CPAP. Uh, the CPAP machine and then my partner would have to decide what's worse me snoring next to her or me sounding like Darth Vader orgasming next to her but either way that's that's her journey not mine you know but did that actually help you did you actually get the sleep app I mean I haven't yet they haven't told me yet what the result is so I'm waiting to find out waiting to find out yeah yeah wow oh I wish uh, they come up with something good yeah hopefully 
Sammy, every time I have a guest on or every mm-hmm. time I meet someone new, I'm very interested in their journey, how they came from. And you're, for, you're from Karachi and I'm from Punjab. Whereabouts in Punjab? Punjab is vague. Punjab, Punjab is a whole... That's like saying I'm from Asia. Asia, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, so Punjab, yeah. I'm from Chandigarh. Okay, If you right. heard about... Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a very tiny city. Yeah. Have you heard of Chandigarh? Yeah, yeah. So my, my family from India originally, uh, my dad's side of the family was from... Uh, Lucknow and yes. UP. Lucknow and UP, yeah, that's yeah, and, and Uttar Pradesh and stuff. Yeah. And then my mum's side of the family is from Bangalore, mm. so entirely. So we're like, you know, like two generations ago, we were fully Indian. Mm-hmm. Um, and we still have family all over the place, and we also have family in, uh, all over Punjab as well. Wow. Um, so they, my dad's side all moved to Punjab in Pakistan, so in Lahore. See, Lahore yes. um, this is not interesting to anyone that's it, white. It's at very all. interesting to me like, because yeah, yeah. I can relate to you so much. It's like I would be so much comfortable. In well, the I mean, but also keep in mind, I'm not Punjabi, right? So like I'm yeah. from, I'm a Mahajir, which is like yeah. people who migrated from India to Karachi are called Mahajirs. Mm. And we have a major tension with Punjabis wow. um, because, you know, we um, are educated and have uh, a Directions at work and Punjabis <laughs> largely don't. Like that's yeah. a, that, that, that's the joke. But that's a, basically there's a huge like if you're from Karachi and yeah. someone's from Lahore, which yeah. is the, the major city in Punjab, yeah. uh, there's a massive there's a beef tension. there. Oh, big time, big time, big time. I was doing wow. a stand-up show in uh, Perth once, and a comedian in the audience heckled me. And comedian. comedians don't heckle other comedians. <laughs> that is not on. It's like hitting your own profession. Yeah, and he Why? and Usually I was like, they just stand up the back and judge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, quietly. Um, but uh, he heckled me, and I was like, "You're heckling me. Like, uh, what do you do?" He's like, "I'm a stand-up comedian." I'm like, "What kind of fucking stand-up comedian heckles another comedian? <laughs> Where are you from?" Yeah. He's from Lahore. He's like, "I'm from Lahore." I was like, "Yeah, that makes sense. Of uh, course you so, are." So yeah. So you gave him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so can you please take us through the journey? How? How you started in Karachi? Like, it's not like you, you I'm guessing, yeah. you st- what was your first gig? In, um, in- I started not in stand-up, I started in improv comedy. So mm-hmm. there was this guy named Saad Haroon, um, and Saad, Saad Haroon, is still yes. there. Um, and Saad set up this thing called Blackfish. It was Pakistan's first improv comedy troupe. He'd been in Chicago, he'd studied improv in America, and he came back to Pakistan. He's like, let's do this. And this is like... 2002 yes. yeah and so he did improv comedy he set it up over there and I joined Blackfish as an improv performer so as a part of the improv comedy like it was just us there was this one troupe we performed every week for three four years um, the show was like a, a thing in Karachi everyone in Karachi knew about it like you know Blackfish was a known thing um, it was really qu- quite an amazing thing to be part of and then I started realizing that my love wasn't improv it was stand up like everything I listened to to a stand-up because I used to back then you you didn't watch the specials so much as you listened to them. You downloaded comedy albums mm-hmm. and and I'd listen to everything from Patton Oswalt to Dane Cook to you know Jerry Seinfeld to the classic Steve Martin and wow. and and Bill Cosby and all of those things and and so I was like yeah I really want to try stand-up comedy. So in 2005 I booked a theater in Karachi and I spent like six months just writing and practicing at home. And my first ever stand-up comedy show was an hour-long stand-up comedy show in Karachi. An hour long. Yeah, I did an hour-long show to 300 wow. people in Karachi. It was my first ever stand-up show. And it went well. I don't know how it went well, but it went well. Because I guess no one had anything to compare it to, mm-hmm. so the standards were lower. Mm-hmm. But it went well. And so and I've been doing it ever since. Do you what? have that on tape? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I have it. It's on, I think it's on a Vimeo or something, if anyone yeah. still uses that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's horrendous. You know, I'm, I'm young and skinny and terrible and my delivery is bad because... But some of the ideas are strong. Like, mm-hmm. I, I repurposed a bit from that show two years ago in my Melbourne Comedy Festival show. I was just telling a friend of mine a, a bit from that. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's still funny. Like, you should do that now. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'll see what it's like to do an old bit that mm-hmm. I started my career with, you know, what 15 16 mm. years later and see if it still works and it does mm. like it wow. still holds up so i was like that's pretty cool that you know sometimes the instincts are right what made you get into improv to begin with um there's a, a really f- um good interview do you know greg proops oh uh, yeah i do yeah, yeah. Mm. so greg proops is a part of whose line is it anyway mm-hmm. and he's a stand-up comedian um he's part of like the san francisco kind of clique of comedians mm-hmm. that came out in the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. um and 
I was uh, I I got to meet him when he came to uh, Australia a few years ago, and we and, and we were like uh, chatting and stuff. And I asked him, I was like, you know, why did you get into to stand into improv? And he's like, well, I didn't know what it was, and there was an improv show happening, and I went and saw it, and I was like, I can do that. Mm. And he did it, and it worked. And I was like, that sounds so arrogant, but it's true. He did do it, and it worked. And I kind of had the same feeling. Yes. Like, I was, you know, I was always funny. You I had a sense of humor. But I had the arrogance. It's not confidence. It's arrogance. Arrogance. But a lot of people look at improv and stand-up and go, I can do that. And then they try and fail. I just got lucky that I didn't mm. fail, that I tried it and it worked out. That's okay. It happens sometimes. Well, and how old were you when you had that first a gig that you just told about 300 people oh man i would have been 25 years old 25 did you 25 have did you, were you working did you had a job yeah 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 <laughs> pakistan you don't you can't do comedy full <laughs> time australia you can't do comedy full time um no no i had I, I used to work in advertising at the time so i used to be a art director for a multinational ad agency um, and I was writing columns for a newspaper as the music and theater and arts reporter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like my two things. I, I knew I wanted to be a journalist, but I wasn't sure fully yet. I needed in the meantime to pay the bills. And I was new, good at graphic design, so I got a job in an ad agency. And I did that for a while, and then I switched over to, to journalism full-time. I left advertising. Uh, but yeah, I was doing both those things, and then I did my stand-up show. Yeah. So you've always been in very creative fields um the there's that saying i never liked it um and oh. it's uh but it's a very common one in pakistan they say it a lot and i'm sure they say it a lot a lot of places uh, which is a jack of all trades master, master of, of none. none and it it was always said to me like a bad thing my pa- my parents were always like oh don't be a jack of all trades mm-hmm. you'll become master of none except it's only but very recently i re- found the yes the, the whole, <laughs> whole phrase, phrase yes it's better to be so jack of all trades, master of none, still better than master of one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it blew my mind because right. every time I try to do different things, people are like, why don't you master one thing? And I hate that because I have that arrogance as well in me that I can do that as well. Look, here's the thing. Uh, <clears throat> looking back, I can honestly say, let's say I had only done writing. Yeah. Or only done stand up, mm-hmm. you know. I would be very most, much more successful at those. I'm like my career in all of them is very strange, right? Like, I do stand up comedy. Um, I think I'm good at stand up comedy, but I can't sell out a theater. I used to be able to, but I can't mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to be able to perform in most cities in Australia and, and you know sell out 150, 200 people's theater, no problem. Now I struggle to sell out a 50 seater, and it's because I also do too many other things right so like i do stand up but i also have a day job i also write books i also do whatever um and so my stand-up career has struggled because i don't tour at all i never perform outside of melbourne i don't travel very much at all um and i but i'm okay with that i would rather do stand-up and write books and do a documentary and do whatever else i'm doing because that keeps me interested in all of them my brain is too distracted probably adhd or whatever but i like it i don't want to lose this um but also yes if i had just focused i probably would have been a far more successful comedian all the guys i started out with from my generation of comedy in in australia which is ivan ristigera diluk jayasinha mike goldstein um i'm trying to think who else would have been like my my generation uh, laura davis alice frazier all of us they're all far above me mm-hmm. in terms of career, comedy career mm-hmm. right we still all gig together but if I look at ticket sales or you know numbers, numbers yeah. way further than I will get, mm. and I'm never gonna go further than them now. That's fine, but I still love doing stand-up comedy for the sake of stand-up comedy because I have the luxury to mm. do that. I don't rely on it for an income. And I rely on it for the adrenaline. Well, I guess. it's funny because I found you through your contributions to the Chaser Report. Oh so yeah, I saw your comedy festival show for the first time. Oh, I saw you do comedy for the first time last year because of those right contributions to that podcast yeah, yeah. so because of those multifaceted uh, things that you do yeah. outside of comedy and that's rather me and that's a perfect example yeah. right so like the chaser team i only know them because i knew dom knight because mm-hmm. i was doing um uh, abc radio mm-hmm. and dom was doing abc radio yeah. so we knew each other from like the radio circuit on the abc because he was sydney i was melbourne but we mm-hmm. talk every now and then um the chaser team got a radio show in in sydney for a while mm-hmm. and they wanted to interview me about my book that had just come out 
So they interviewed me on the book and we hit it off. Mm. And then a few years later, when Chaser, when Charles Firth was setting up um, The War in 2020, mm-hmm. which was the series of sketch comedy yep. that, that Chaser put out, um, he wanted to put up a team to, together for that. He's like, oh, Sammy Shah, I remember, used to do sketch satire, yeah, a new right. satire comedy in Pakistan. Yeah. Maybe he'd like to try this out. I'd never done sketch comedy before. Yeah. But he called me up. He's like, yeah, you want to do this? I was like, yeah, let's mm. give it a shot. And so the fact that I do multiple things mm. is exciting for me because I get to meet multiple people and yeah. I get to try out other stuff. Mm. People let me do cool stuff, mm. like be a part of Chaser. Now, if I only focus on stand-up comedy, I think I might not have had that opportunity. Mm. Yeah, right. Because they would have gone, Sammy's a stand-up comedian. He's not a sketch guy. He's not a new mm. satire guy. Probably not worth contacting him. But I get to do it. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah. I think as an artist, when you have the freedom, when you have the complete freedom of doing your things your way, you... you uh, I don't know. I don't agree with that. I know where you're going with that. I think yeah, it's a bad you, idea. I think... And this is controversial. Too many options? Uh, yes. Mm. If uh, every now and then, like, I write short stories, right? And, 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 and usually horrors, or, or mostly horror short stories. And um, every now and then I'll get contacted by an anthology somewhere and they'll be like, the editor of an anthology, and they'll be like, no brief, write whatever you want. They never get a story from me because I can't. I always, I don't know what to write about. But like the last one I wrote, they contacted me and they said, hey, we're doing a story. It's about the the effect of colonialism and colonization on bodies of water because every city, you know, the, the ships that brought, the, the, the oceans that brought the ships across, the rivers that were polluted, all of these things. You want to talk about that. So can you write us a horror story around that theme? Two days later, I had a story and I wrote it and I sent it and it got published. Like that's right away, I need constraints. And I grew up in a system where Pakistan, when I was growing up, was a dictatorship. Mm. And uh, during that dictatorship, Ziaul Haq was the dictator, and Ziaul Haq did not like being made fun of. No dictator does. Yes. He was very strict about that. And so all the satirists and writers who wrote for TV dramas and everything, right, they came up with clever ways of hiding wow. their criticism of his army, of his government, in the stories and making them multi-layered. So there was de- plausible deniability, but creativity involved and then mm. afterwards when things were free and open and anyone could say anything you didn't say anything you didn't see anything very good people were very obvious with their jokes there was no cleverness there's no art and, and tact to it i think artists work best under constraints mm. uh, i think artists work worst when they're given the freedom to do so whatever they freedom. want um and i think that that it's it's a good for society but it's good for art and i think that's important wow so you need a one solid foundation to have it branched out and you you can just have yeah. it i'm always worried about paying my bills and and things like that mm-hmm. because i I'm, I'm a freelancer and i work and and all that stuff and and not even like i recently got a job but like otherwise i've always had that situation which has forced me to be creative right like it's mm-hmm. like oh crap my daughter's school fees is coming up i need to pay this i need to come up with several thousand dollars asap okay i'll pitch a new documentary to abc or audible or something and if I better make it good because if they approve it, I know that they give you $8,000 to do a pilot episode and that $8,000 will pay, mm. you know, bills and stuff. So I'll come like, if I don't have that pressure, I don't think I'd be as creative. I, I wish I also, a part of me goes, I wish I had no pressure at all. And I could just be rich and I could relax. I don't think I'd do good work then, but I'd be very relaxed though. Which uh, is that's okay. Why not? When, when that pressure comes in and I can understand being an immigrant too, why not? fall into that same pattern that other immigrants are falling. So if, if, if I get I get tense, like shit, I need money, I'm looking for those same sources of earning money. Like, okay, let's drive Uber. Maybe maybe pick up a truck. I've done that. You've I've done, done all that? those things. Man, I, I was at the ABC. I was doing the breakfast show at the ABC from 19, you know, 2018 to 2020, mm. right? So, or 2017, 2019, I can't remember. I, end of 2019 was when I finished doing radio. So it was supposed to be a gig which you do for the 15 years. You know, everyone who does ABC radio does it for 15 years. Um, after two years, they fired me. It didn't work out. We had a bad relationship with each other. Um, they're massive racists and go fuck themselves. And, and <laughs> I hope the ABC gets defunded. That's a separate story. But um, regardless, uh, I, you know, I had a very bad situation. And I suddenly was massively in debt. Mm-hmm. And, and because I thought I'd have a job to pay off my bills and stuff. I had incurred debt for a variety of reasons. But I thought I'd be safe. And all of a sudden, it was gone. Mm. 
and I had no money, no income, nothing. And also the stink of failure on me because the ABC just had fired me. And so everyone's like, we're not going to hire me. They got fired from the ABC. They don't fire anyone there mm-hmm. um, uh, unless they're brown or black. Then they fire them right away. <laughs> and um, then... I mean, if you don't agree with me, just look at Philip Adams. His career is doing fine. And you fucking just called someone a honorary white. And apparently, you can do that if you're a white guy. Uh, wow. So uh, getting back to the point, uh, the point being that I had no money, no income, no nothing. I got an Uber license. Mm. I was like, what the hell am I going to do? So I got an Uber license. My car, it turns out, was not good enough to be an Uber. So I had to rent, figure out how to rent an yes. Uber and all of that stuff. And then that's when I, I just started doing that. When Charles first called me and offered me the Chaser War in 2020. And I was like... Uh, Oh. That's okay. the next few months paid off, so I can yes. relax now. And then someone else called me up and offered me something else, and then I got a job with the university sector, and, and things kind of stabilized. But you go where you can with the money. When there's no money, you do what you got to do. Mm. There's no denying that. Yes. But at no point did I stop thinking, I'm gonna. St- did I think I'm gonna stop doing comedy or any of those things? You had such a for like from from your story just now. You had such a forward momentum. Like yeah. you didn't want it to stop that immigrant fire, that I could relate to as well. But it's not just that. Everyone has that. But like there's that thing of like you know you want to succeed. Mm-hmm. As an immigrant, yes, there is also that thing of you know when my Necessity. parents visited. Mm. from Pakistan and I was walking through the streets of Melbourne with them and people were stopping me on the road and going you're Sammy Shah from ABC Radio Uh, Mm -hmm. for me I was like my parents get to see that I'm okay Mm -hmm. it's a moment of real pride for them and a year later I was like well I got fired and my wife left (laughs) and I'm driving an Uber and my parents were like well I fucking turned around badly Um, so that stuff happens also yeah I do think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from all of that stuff. But yeah, you have a forward momentum. Things are going fine. Things crash and they happen. There's a, a, I called up a friend of mine, Craig Quatermain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, man, I'm not doing well. And he's like, peaks and troughs, dude. Life is peaks and troughs. You were at peak, now you're in a trough. There's another peak after that. So, Wow. When was the transition out of Pakistan? When did the transition out of Pakistan happen? Where, where did you... I'm, I'm guessing... That, well, I saw that you did... Um, bachelor's of Arts from University of Virginia in mm-hmm. USA. Did you go there first? In that yeah. Show? No, so I, I went to University of Virginia in 1998 to 2002. Uh-huh. Um, I was there. Uh, I went to do a bachelor. Uh, I went to do a degree in computer science. Mm-hmm. So this was near the tail end of the tech bubble boom. So everyone was like, do computer science. You're going to get a job as a programmer in Silicon Valley. You'll be yeah. very rich. rich. Like everyone's doing that and it's fine. And I went there and I did one semester in computer science and I hated it. I was like, I, it, part of me was like, look, it's, it's programming and I can do programming. I, I knew how to do programming already. I was like, that's fine. But I just didn't want, I didn't, I didn't care. I stopped going to classes. I was bored. Yes, because you, you were doing, you did a show in Karachi where you did your stand-up and now you're doing... No, no, this is before my stand-up. Oh, this is so the stand-up happened in 2005. Oh, uh, 1998 yes. to 2002 was university. So, so you, you, yeah. you studied in the uh, U.S. and you then came back. Yeah, then I went okay. back to Pakistan after my degree. So I got my degree in English literature from University of Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I moved back to Pakistan to work in Pakistan. Pakistan um, and, uh, and yeah, and then, and then I was there until 2012, which is when I finally came to Australia. 2000. What, what was your reason to move to Australia? Um, I mean, it's called the brain drain. I don't know if it's happening in I, India. It's I definitely know, happening in Pakistan. I know Pakistan. what brain drain is. Yeah, when like... We, we had a chapter in class in civics. Yeah. Brain drain. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Yeah. Because Can you explain? Yeah, explain okay. that. <laughs> so let me explain. So the chapter was brain drain, mm-hmm. which means that third world countries, which have resources, which is brains of the people, like in intelligent spot mm-hmm. peoples, could be doctors, could be engineers, nurses, or whatever. Never comedians, but yeah. <laughs> Never comedians. <laughs> <laughs> but skilled people are moving to another, well, different countries outside of India or Pakistan mm-hmm. uh, to for better opportunities. And it's draining the brain out of that country. Right. That's brain drain. Yeah, yeah. So, and Pakistan <laughs> is very much, has been suffering that for a very long time. My um, ex-wife, uh, she, we were together at the time, so she had a psychology degree that she had gotten from Monash University in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So she was like, I want to mo- go, go and live in Be- Australia if we're going to leave Pakistan. I- I didn't want to leave. I had zero interest in leaving. In Pakistan? Yeah, because I was loving it. I had a great job. Mm-hmm. I was doing comedy. I was, you know, successful. I was happy. My parents are there. You know, friends are there. Everything like that. 
Um, and uh, then we started getting death threats because I was doing a lot of journalism work. And, um, and we had a daughter. And that was the main thing. I've always said if we'd had a son, I might have stayed in Pakistan because life's good if you're a boy in, in, in a Muslim country. Yes. But if you're... Uh, I just didn't want my daughter growing up in uh, in Pakistan or a Muslim country particularly. So I was like, yeah, we're out. we we got to go. I want her to be in a place where she has more opportunity, more Safe. freedom. And yeah. And uh, we and, and because my ex-wife had been to, you know, Melbourne before, um, we were like, yeah, let's try for Australia. Did you came straight to Melbourne first or was no, it no, WA? No, I wish, I wish. We, were, we went to this place <laughs> called Northam in WA. It's a small yes. town, middle of Western Australia. It was a visa requirement. We got a visa, um, which is called a regional state-sponsored regional visa, yes. where you end up in a country town in Western Australia. Two years? Uh, yeah, two, two years of uh, 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 temporary resident and then two years as permanent resident. Mm. Well, basically two years as temporary resident, then to take another year and a half to process your application for permanent resident. And then the time you're also still there, so it counts. Exactly. So you just ended up being three and a half years yeah. in, in WA and then ran to Melbourne. How was it? How was it? Oh, Melbourne's fucking amazing. No, how was the... Oh, country WA? Can, yes. It sucks. <laughs> like, it's, 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 it's WA, which sucks. Then it's country WA, which doubly sucks. We, look, we made a lot of good friends. Um, the comedy scene in Perth is what really made me a comedian. I met some great comedians there. Laura Davis, um, Mike Goldstein. These are my friends from there. Um, there's a lot of people who are still doing comedy there. Uh, Xavier Suse is there. Uh, Beck Charlwood, she moved to Sydney. Um, there's you know, some amazing comics. Um, and the Perth scene was really good because it was a scene where you could make money and there was gigs regularly. So I became a regular comedian in Perth. I used to drive two hours down from Northern to Perth, do comedy, and then drive back. I used to do that every day. Um, and that was fun and it made me a much better comic, I think, because I'd never been in a comedy scene. It was just me in Karachi. All of a sudden, I was in green rooms hanging out with other comics and doing open mics and stuff. So that really helped a lot. And then finally, yeah, moved here. Uh, and then, yeah, and, but, but at the same time, it's still Western Australia. Mm. Like, there's nothing to do. Yeah. It's fucking boring. I know. It it's sucks. Warm as well. It's hot. hot. <laughs> yes. There's no good food anywhere. Everyone, like, yeah, it's not the most, you know, like, it's a lovely place. And I say that, you know, from compared to Pakistan, it's amazing. <laughs> compared to Melbourne, it sucks. <laughs> yeah. And people in WA are like, we're amazing. No, you're not. <laughs> you are so pathetic. It's terrible. Yeah. Uh, was that like a profound thing for you, like a moment for you when you realized? And how was, I mean, how was your... How did your material work? Because were there any other brown comedians there? No, no, no. I was. You were the only one. It's funny now. There's all these Indian comics in uh, in, in, in Melbourne wow, okay. and Perth, I guess, and every everywhere. There's a lot of like a huge, huge influx of Indian migrants coming here, mm. and a lot of them are young. A lot of them are college students. A lot of them are also there's comedy in India. There's a big stand-up comedy scene there. Some amazing comedians there. Karunesh Talwar, one of my favorites. Mm. Aditi Mittal, um, all these people. So. Uh, this, you know, they come to Australia and then they're like, yeah, I want to do comedy. Or, you know, there'll be, there'll be, you know, people who've been here for 10, 15 years. There's a, a, a Indian female comedian in Brisbane who's married, kids, been here for 12 years. And she's like, yeah, fuck it, I want to do comedy. And she's started doing comedy and, and she's great, you know. And it kind of sucks because they're like, well, there goes my edge. I was, I was the brown was guy, the- <laughs> me and Dilruk, and now there's way more. Um, <laughs> Is it safe to say, and dare yeah, I say yeah, yeah. this, that you guys are the brown OGs of... Uh, no, I think that's no. Nazim and Amir. Uh, Nazim Hussain and Amir Rahman were the brown OGs, OGs. of uh, Australian stand-up comedy. And probably, probably um, Akmal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Akmal is, you know, he's Egyptian, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, so those guys were the pioneers, really. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always going to be, and now there's a lot. Like there's no no novelty, and it's funny because you see a lot of the the uh, new comedians getting up on stage because you try to do relatable material. So they're talking mm-hmm. about the fact that I'm Indian, I talk like this, and things like that. And it's like we've all done that. Mm-hmm. Every single one of us, when we got here and started doing stand-up comedy, had the same material for the first year, and then you find your voice. Mm. When in, you were in WA, you must be an alien to them. Your your story must so be. So that was educated, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like smart brown guy, what? How did that happen? <laughs> um, no, it, it was I, uh, I, I by the way, shitting on WA is only funny because they get so upset when you do it. Obviously I don't mean any of this. Um, I was just in Perth doing shows. It's great. Uh 
<laughs> no, I think uh, yeah, there was I was a novelty. Yeah. But if you're not funny, that doesn't matter. Mm. You get there's a great Seinfeld Jerry Seinfeld line which is like it buys you the first 2 minutes. Any any edge you have fame, success, whatever, novelty, first 2 minutes, first two minutes all it buys you. After that your material better be good. And and I took it very seriously. Like I you know, I, I gigged four or five days a week. I used to drive for two hours just mm. to do comedy shows. Um, I gigged two to three times a night if possible. Um, I used to challenge myself to write new material every week on, you know, like clockwork. Mm. Um, and yeah, I just really cared about it. And I still care about it. Like, it's probably the one thing I've done the most consistently my whole career is stand-up mm. comedy. You know, I've been working professionally since 2002, 2003. Is after I graduated university. I've been doing stand-up comedy since 2005. So it's everything else. I've had jobs in lots of industries. Mm. Stand-up comedy has been the consistent thing behind everything. Sammy, when we were growing up in our countries, mm. we are influenced by American culture a lot. Yes. And when you go to a different country, you come up with like this golden image of us getting laid a lot and partying all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you got, when I got here, it was so so different from from what I thought it would be. Was that for you as well? Because <laughs> no, I mean, because I'd been to America. Oh, that helped a lot, right? Yeah. So I, I'd been to America. I'd been to, in 1998. I got to went to Virginia, and I was there for four years. And I'd been through that experience of like you know, the partying and frats and so I hated that stuff. I, I went there my first year and all the other Pakistanis there were like that. They were like, I want to get drunk. Yeah. I want to go to a, pl- a party. It, over there, it used to be a thing and this was very much back then uh, where the plan was you go to a party, you find a girl who's drunk and you grind up against her. Mm. And which is basically uh, yeah. molestation and and, 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 <laughs> and it's horrific. And yes. But that was like, the, and this isn't just the brown, this is everyone, all the white That's guys the in college would be telling me yeah that's what you do yeah. that's how you you know you basically get a, get a girl is you yeah. go and you grind up against her and then eventually you start making out and have sex or whatever and in my first few weeks i remember going to a couple of parties with guys and standing in the corner and being like i don't, I don't, I'm, I don't like this this isn't me so i'm not comfortable i'm not happy here like this is not for me at all um I went and uh, about my, my first year of university, I was miserable. I was I stopped talking to the Pakistani crew because I didn't like them. Because there's all these, no offense, Punjabi guys, <laughs> like who are basically <laughs> like from Lahore and Islamabad, who yeah. were just into the party scene and stuff like that. Yes. Very rich guys, you know, rich. Mm. They used to like judge you if you got a part-time job. I got a part-time job on yes. campus to pay for my, my, my tuition and they judged you for that. And I was like, fuck these guys. So I just stopped hanging out with anyone. And then my second year, when I was just thinking of maybe just dropping out and going back to Pakistan, I joined a thing called the Jefferson Literary and Debating Society, mm. which is it's the oldest literary and debating society in America. It founded in 1825. Um, uh, uh, Edgar Allan Poe used to be a member. Woodrow Wilson used to be a member. They meet every Friday on campus in this one building that they've owned since 1825 and they debate and they argue and they do rhetoric and they and they talk about literature and it is like it was like the dead poet society the robin williams movie mm-hmm. it was kind of like being a part of that and i'm a nerd and a geek and 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 a, and a weirdo like i'm not into partying and clubbing and, and all that stuff so and you found your home there i found my people mm. i found my people i would they saved me and i had the best time at university because of them it was the thing i like doing you know like public speaking and debate and oratory and going up against the georgetown debate union and smashing them and defeating harvard in an elocution contest and going like fuck yeah we the best like that yeah. was what we enjoyed and 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 yeah you know you meet girls and you and all that the, the, the girls are also part of that society Society as well, so they're people who you connect with on a very different men- mental, intellectual level. You're not, all, and everyone's getting drunk and partying also because they're young, but it was still a much more respectful and engaged scene. Um, and so when I, yeah, that was my experience when I realized very quickly I'm not into that. Mm. Um, and people are, if you know, you see young people now, they come to Australia, or whatever, and they go partying and clubbing and all. And that's what you're into. That's what you're into. Um, and if that's what you're into, you'll find the stuff that makes you happy. happy. But it wasn't ever for me, and it never will be. Yeah. I can relate the same. First, I think when you go into a new country, first year is designed for you to give up. It's it's yeah, something yeah, yeah. about the first year. It's designed. For we you. used to when we moved to Australia for the first, in fact, first two years, we kept just enough money in the bank account always in savings to buy return tickets if needed. You were, I saw your TEDx, Emmy. Mm, that was you, very old. When you finished it, yeah. I'm not kidding. 
I got chills and I was I was in the car and I started clapping. <laughs> I don't know that That's how that's dangerous. Yes. Also. No, yeah. Don't be driving clapping. No, no, no. I was sitting in my car. Oh, okay, I was that's just fine. chilling. Mm. And I had my coffee in my hand. I was just yeah, yeah. but I, I listened to your TEDx. Oh TEDx Melbourne, yeah. Yes, I did that TEDx nine nine to ten years ago, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The YouTube video says nine or ten years old. Okay. So um, Yeah, so I guess so, yeah. Yeah. How did you end up there? How how uh, I so I was doing stand up comedy in Perth and um I did a show at a comedy gala. The Perth Comedy Festival had a gala. They asked some someone dropped out and they called me up and they're like, Hey, someone's dropped out, we need you to do five minutes on stage. Mm. Can, are you in the neighborhood? And I just happened to be in the neighborhood. I was a guest row. Went and did five minutes on stage. And that went really well. Mm. Got, went really, really well. And so um, someone did a news article about me based on that gala, like Pakistani comedian living in Northam. That became, got picked up by the ABC, became an episode of Australian Story, which then led to a book deal where I, had, I wrote my autobiography, mm. which then led to TEDx Melbourne calling me up and going, hey, your, your book has just come out. And we thought if you'd like to come here and and to be a guest on TEDx Melbourne. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'm like, whatever, I don't care. Um, I wasn't interested in TEDx so much, or, or even TED overall. There's a certain thing to TED, which is like you go up and you have a rhythm. There's a way of talking, and then your hands are like dented in front of you when you've got that headset mic on. And if you just follow the rhythm, you get the applause at the end of it. So I was like, oh, whatever. I get a free trip to Melbourne. That mm. I was excited about. I got to come to Melbourne. Um, I met Waleed Ali the first time uh, by being a guest on, on Radio National when he was a uh, co when he was hosting there. Um, and I got to hang out with, and for me, this was the highlight. Backstage, it was Tommy Emmanuel, mm. um, the guitarist. Mm-hmm. And I had just started learning the guitar. And so uh, we basically, Tommy Emmanuel and I spent the whole day in the green room, him giving me guitar lessons, wow. which is the dream. Like you get like your first guitar teacher is Tommy Emmanuel. Like that is amazing. So for me, that was the highlight. Um, and then I remember in the morning, they're like, oh yeah, you can't take a paper on stage at TEDx. You have to memorize it. And I was like, God oh, damn it. Geez. All right. So then I memorized it <laughs> luckily in time. Yeah. But you said something in there and please correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just kind of yeah, crazy yeah. that you said that how you compared the held at gunpoint karate oh, yeah. story to comedy and how you guys saw each other as human beings yeah, yeah, yeah. remember that yeah nice. yeah i think that's it. it's it's about comedy it's about the the power of comedy um, in that it is um stand up comedy particularly stand up comedy but most comedy comedy relies on surprise Right? When mm-hmm. people laugh, they are surprised. That's why they laugh. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can be shock, sometimes surprise. But regardless, that's where you get laugh. And what happens when you laugh is your defenses go down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as a result, I found you can do comedy about, like, Mark Maron, who's one of my favorite comedians as well, he's an American comedian. He's got a new comedy special out right mm-hmm. now. It's called From Dark to, From yeah. Bleak to Dark, yep. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about death and, and, and grief. And it's very funny. Mm-hmm. And oh, Hannah Gadsby's Nanette, right. perfect example, right? It's a very personal show, very moving, powerful show. But it's a stand-up comedy show, mm. and I think what happens is people's defenses are lowered; they're emotionally mm. more open and vulnerable. And then you can hit them with truths, and you yeah. can hit them with with information and and honesty, mm. and it connects with them and it affects them on a way that they would have otherwise been closed off, mm. and makes mm. them see. Uh, humanity and empathy. I mean, look, this is also the part, the standard comedian part of me is like, this is a lot of pretentious bullshit. None of that's true. Just fucking do the joke and get off stage. So there's always those competing sides of it as well. So who influenced you growing? Because I saw that you also wrote a book, Father Figures. Uh, well, no, no, no I, I have an essay in a book. You yeah, have an yeah, essay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. it's a book about uh, like about um, uh, they get they got lots of different writers to write about their saw, relationships yes, to their dad. Those, yeah. So I, I they asked me to write one as well. Yeah, yeah. Did you had a strong role model growing up? Um, yeah, my my dad actually only became my role model much later in life because he was on the ship my whole childhood. So he was in the Merchant Navy. So he, mm. he served in the Merchant Navy. So he was on in the shipping industry. So he was gone most of the time. He'd come home for two months and then be gone again. Um, so is my mom kind of raised... I was basically raised almost by a single mom. Like she wasn't a single mom, but she was because she, yeah, she'd raised us all by herself. Um, I had an uncle... My cousin's dad, who was very much a person I connected with, he was very intellectual, he was very um, 
he had a library of books and and he he gave me you know thomas hardy to read or or introduced me to shakespeare and stuff like that so that was a very big influence on me um there were people in pakistan uh, zia moyuddin anwar maksud um moin akhtar these were like Anwar Maksud, Moin Akhtar were comedians and satirists, and Bushra Ansari, the comedians and satirists who were also intellectual, like they were mm-hmm. clever and cerebral. So them, Zia Moyuddin was just like this literary figure. He just died a few days ago, in fact, I think 94, 96 years old, um, who, intro- who talked about the importance of literature and, and poetry and things like that. And so all of that influenced me when I, you know, different people influence you in different ways. Stephen King influenced me. I became a writer because of Stephen King, because I read The Stand when I was 13 years old. And it blew my brain. And um, Neil Gaiman or Stephen Fry is a being influenced on me because Stephen Fry does whatever the hell he wants to. He does a documentary, he does a comedy show, he writes a novel, he writes a memoir, he'll do, uh, you know, uh, a web series here and a, and a series of talks there, or just go act in a movie or whatever he wants to. Mm. And I was like, wait, you can do that? I didn't know you were allowed to do that. I thought you only had to do one thing. Yeah. So there's lots of people who, like, influence you in different ways. Like in stand-up comedy, you know, for me... At the start, it was Jerry Seinfeld. Then it became Patton Oswalt. Now it's Mark. Then it became Mark Maron and Louis C.K. Now it's whoever's comedy is really vibing with me these days. You know, it's 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 about that. Who's who's your late like ongoing? What's your latest uh, favorites? Ah, uh, Shane Gillis. Shane Gillis. Um, his oh, YouTube special, good. I think, yeah. is one of the best. Yanis Pappas's YouTube yes. special is really good. Joe List's YouTube special oh, is really good. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah, Louis C.K.'s last special was not that great, but I watched him in Melbourne. It was amazing. Um, uh, what's her name? Michelle Wolf, I still think, is one of the most underrated comedians in the world. She's funnier than most performers. I don't know why she doesn't get the respect for it. Um, who else right now these days am I listening to? Um, oh, yes, uh, Adriana Iapalucci. She opened for Louis C.K. in Melbourne. Mm just never heard of her before she has one album it's on it, uh, youtube or, and it's on uh, apple t- itunes or spotify whatever and it's great it's dark and fucked up i really liked it so yeah whatever is is you know interesting or new or or just pays respect to the craft of stand-up comedy hmm. um you know funny first and and the funny and how you get to the funny is important uh, I like how you like dark comedy, and you said you like horror movies. Is that your is that your style? Is that your Easter egg in your? I think so. I don't know. I don't know why. Like, I love I love uh, horror books, not movies. I don't like horror movies. I like the classic ones, like The Omen, um, Exorcist, all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, I wrote a horror novel as well because I like that stuff. Um, I don't like horror movies these days because mostly they gore based. Mm-hmm. Like, they, you know, it's more about the 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 blood and guts and stuff or they do the thing of shock value like you know someone turns the corner and suddenly the music goes like that and it's an easy scare scare it's like an easy laugh when you see a hack comedian you're like oh come on all right fine um the good ones are still great you know like the good horror movies and stuff the classics are still amazing uh horror books I, i still read a lot of horror novelists and stuff i still think because it's the same skill Horror and comedy are exactly the same skill. It is being able to shock and surprise people to get a reaction out of them. In horror, the reaction is a scream. In comedy, it's a laugh. But both comes from surprise. Wow. Horror and comedy are the same. Yeah. That's that's very interesting to me. Yeah. That's very interesting. Sammy, when you're when you're writing when you're writing your material, do you are you like a you go out? And what's your inspiration? Like, do you um, shut yourself off from the world? No, and write? I wish. I used to. When I started off doing stand-up comedy, I used to sit down and I'd write. And I'd mm. write in a journal or write it on a computer. And I'd script the whole bit out. Because I didn't have any way I could practice it. So if I had an idea, I'd have to write the whole thing out and then just decide if it's funny or not. And then memorize mm. it and whatever. Um, Australia spoiled me. There's open mics everywhere. So now what I do is um, I'll have a line in my head, you know, something that I'm like, ah, oh, that's, that's, I think that's funny. And so um, I went to a barber shop in, in Preston and the barber, the guy who came out to cut my hair was really good looking. Oh. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Like I've never <laughs> had a really good looking barber, barber before. And that makes me feel uncomfortable because <laughs> I didn't realize I had those feelings in myself either. And I was like, all right, cool. So I called up a friend. I was like, hey, can I, can I jump up and do five minutes at an open mic? He runs tonight. And he's like, yeah, come by. So I go there. 
I try it out on stage. Some bits are funny. Some bits don't work. I'm like, okay, that's... And I write it down in a notebook. Mm. Try it out again. Fine-tune it on stage. Write down the final thing. In, but the, what I'm writing in the notebook is just the title of the bit. Wow. The whole bit's in my head. And then eventually, it you know, after two, three spots, it fu- it becomes funny. Yeah. So your first initial draft is a freestyle? Yeah, yeah it's always. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't, if, if I sit down and write it, it's never going to be now as funny mm-hmm. as if I get up on stage. When you get up on stage, there's an adrenaline and a panic. And also, I'm relaxed on stage now, right? Like, I don't have been doing this long enough that I'm, when I'm on stage, I'm fine. I'm relaxed. I'm comfortable. I can explore things. Your adrenaline kicks mm-hmm. in. You get ideas and connections that you wouldn't otherwise have had. Um, I find that better. There's a way to it that you like to feel. Yeah, so Ivan Aristogeta, he's a friend of mine and he's a phenomenal comedian. And Ivan is a craftsmith. Like, Ivan's material connects to other material in the show. And, and my, my gold scene is the same. Like, they've got precise material. There. Every word is there for a reason. Um, they they write it out beforehand. And you can tell because they, they, there's, a, there's a precision to their comedy. Mm-hmm. Mine's more loose. Mine's more floating. Mine's more... Um, most times, there'll be the material and the idea. I know where the punchline is. I know where the setup is. And then the middle I'll make up as I go along. Do you find new material when you're doing a Melbourne Comedy Festival? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The show at the start of the festival, the show at the end of the festival, um, are largely like there's like there's 70% the same. Mm. Uh, but there's 30% in, the, in that middle, which I'm just completely figuring out. And usually I've thought of a few new bits at the end of the festival, which I'm like, ah, God damn it! I wish I'd been there at the start because these are funny. And then I'll try to bank those for the next year. Yeah. Sammy, you just drop a lot of like knowledge about <laughs> stand-up comedy. What? Well, that's how it works for me. Yes. It doesn't mean that it'll work for other it, people for that other way. People. Every single comedian I know has their own method. Yeah. There is a writing involved at some point, mm. whether it's in a notebook or the phone or, or a notepad or, or a script or whatever. you got to have that tactile element where you write something down. Mm. Um, and yeah, you, you and it's about... The, the, oh, I think the only commonalities are, you know, everyone needs to work their material out to perfection on stage. You know, mm-hmm. you can't perfect it off stage. But yeah, otherwise, the the ways they get there are very different from each, for each person. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's more of a feel than it's about rules and regulations. And well, not rules, but it's not about st- like understanding, okay, this person did it this way. And yeah. I, I could also do it this way. It's more about feeling how you feel. Yeah. And like, and you got to change it up. Like, so I've been doing for years just on my phone, a notepad file, a few lines on that. And then this year I was like, I want to try getting a notebook again. So this year has been a notebook based important mm-hmm. thing. And so I, you know, I noticed I, when I have a physical notebook and I write it down, it's a very different relationship. It's mm. completely different. Yeah. I got this. It has very thick pages mm-hmm. and I like to draw as well. And I know you like to draw yeah, as yeah. well too. Like the re- it's something very, uh, I'm lack of vocabulary. There's something very cathartic about, yeah. scri- you know, just scribbling down. It's your thoughts just come. It's very connecting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's uh, you know, I, there's a Neil Gaiman and Joe Hill, two writers I really like. They both write their first draft entirely by hand, mm-hmm. and then the second draft is typed up. I still can't do that. I need to do my first draft on the computer. Yes. Um, of a, a book or show story or whatever but yeah I'd like to try it sometime well since you did like uh, improvise comedy now do you improvise on your sets yeah, or is yeah. it always precise no 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 not at all yes. it's very much I get bored with it if it's mm. the same set again and again and again and again like I, I can you know I'll um, like I said like I'll have the bit, the setup I'll have the punchline but the middle I'll make up as a go sometimes I might change the punchline even I have no idea like it's 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 a the show that's why like it's weird like if a reviewer comes the show that they review may not be the same show the person sees the next day mm-hmm. you know 70 percent of it will be but there'll be 30 percent different, different i think times. i think you're still discovering it as you go as you go yeah and yeah. then also sometimes you get bored with it so you change yeah. it up like I, I i did five nights in in perth and my first night the show structure everything worked Mm-hmm. But I was like, it's not fun. I'm not enjoying it. Mm-hmm. So then I took the entire second half and I made that the first half. And I took the first half and made that the second half. And that became a challenge because everything in the second half was stuff you're supposed to do once the audience trusts you. Mm-hmm. But now I was opening with that. Mm-hmm. So I had to go really hard on it and figure out how to make it even funnier. 
And that was fun. It was shocking and surprising and made it more challenging for me. Um, and then one night, only four people came. Like, you know, every night there'd be 30, 40 people. One mm. night, four people came. So I was like, fuck it, let's just do something else. So I, I chatted with them for an hour and, and, and didn't really do the material, more just talked with them and, and got to know them. And it was fun. Yeah. Does a venue make a difference for a comedy festival show? <laughs> I saw you at the Chinese Museum. I like that last place. year. I'm there this which year. It's a very intimate um, setting, which. Yeah. Your show last year was one of the best oh, thank you. I, I saw, yeah, yeah, I think. You. But um, I think Venue ha- had a lot to deal with that as well because it's a very intimate to, look, to setting. So, so it, um, it was very personal. It was a very mm. personal sort of show to me when I, when I saw look, it. Look, I like, I mean, I can say this because I can't sell those kind of tickets anyway, but I don't like theatre and stadium mm. shows. Um, my favorite stand-up comedy gigs are in clubs, mm. right? Like, that's how we all do stand-up comedy yeah. all year round. For some reason, during the festival, you'll see a guy who normally you'll see him in, in a club with 50 people. You'll mm. see him suddenly on stage with 300 people, and that's great. But it's, I don't know, I don't like that. Like, Louis C.K.'s... Um, you lose some of the magic, I suppose, yeah. when you're sort of preaching out to um, a stadium crowd. Yeah. It, it sort of the loses. New, the new Louis C.K. special that came out live with the MSG or whatever. Um, MCG. MSG. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, MSG is the powder that gives you headaches. Uh, MCG. Um, also, it doesn't give you headaches. That's racism. Regardless. <laughs> um, so, it, it didn't work, mm. I think. Because you, how can comedy be funny to 5,000 people? Mm. Right? You're just, uh, there's no reaction. The laughter isn't even normal. They're just like, mm, ah. yeah. How, what is that sound? Like, that's not what comedy was meant to be. I don't know. I feel the like. translation is lost a little yeah. bit, I suppose. Yeah. I, I like it when it's smaller rooms and stuff. So last year I was in a 100-seater. Mm. And this year I'm in a 50-seater and I said, I want it smaller. Mm. I'm in this weird relationship with my comedy where I don't like the big rooms. I want to go smaller and smaller. I want to keep it personal and fun and intimate so I can improvise and not stress mm. about ticket sales and things like that. Just mm. have fun. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I like that. It, it, it matters to me. I mean, you should be able to do well regardless. Mm. It's, you know, you're not as good as your room. You're not as good as your T-shirt. You're as good as your material. Mm. But yeah, it helps, I think. Oh. So, I mean, what do you do when everything, like, you, of course, you play a lot of, you play with a lot of things in your life. What do you do to get your personal time? I mean, my family, I, you know, have, I have a, a daughter, um, you know, she's 13 right now, and, and she's like, got a lot going on in her life, and so I spend time with her. Uh, my partner, um, we're very, you know, we, 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 we're focusing right now, we just moved house, so we're focusing on making sure it's proper and set up. Um... I read. That's my main indulgence. I just like reading. My, you know, at the end of every day, I try to make sure it's uh, a book, you know, in the in bed, like you know, maybe half an hour, sometimes an hour, depending on how good the book is. But I will read in bed. Um, and when we go on holidays, like you know, we went to uh, Indonesia to Bali very recently. It's my first time ever there. Um, I didn't take my laptop. I was so tempted. I was like, take my laptop and I'll do some work. It's like no, I just left every, left everything at home. Just took like a mountain of books with me and read all of them and just you know that was great. So How was Bali? Uh, it was great. It was wonderful. Like it's it's really is really lovely. Uh, especially if you go to the islands and stuff, it's really amazing. Um, the food is not as anywhere near as spicy as they keep thinking it is. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, this is <laughs> this is spicy. Yeah. Nasi lemak is very spicy, <laughs> and I'm like, dude, this is bland. <laughs> like, we made it so spicy. I'm like, I'm from a Pakistan, <laughs> India, and then I spent a lot of time in Thailand and yeah, these yeah. places. Yeah. Like, that no, Indonesia can't do spice, um, but uh, the food is delicious. Yes, it's very good. And I just came back from Bali on Christmas. I just yeah. came back from there. Beautiful place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There. The and other thing I like is actually cooking. I do that a lot. So, like, yesterday mm-hmm. we had guests over and, um, you know, my partner was like, yeah, we can just make whatever. Like, they're old friends of hers. She's like, they're not fussy. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, this is my job. So, like, I made, like, you know, like a whole three-course meal where everything is made from scratch. And, and I enjoy that. I, that 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 is my fun. I put on a history podcast and I cook food. And did, you, did you make paneer and uh, dal? You no, know? no, no, I do. I did Italian <laughs> for them. I did, um, I did a, a caramelized onion pasta. Uh, um, I made the pasta from scratch as well, tagliatelle. And I made uh, chicken salt and boca. And yeah, so that was nice. Yeah, yeah. With, the, with garlic spinach. Do you, do, do you cook often? Yeah, yeah. That's good. Like two to three times a week, I'll cook. Two to three times a week, my partner will cook. Yeah. What does future hold of you? Oh, I don't make any. You don't. No, make I don't do like that, that anymore. I used to do that. 
I used to do that. I used to have like, yeah, you know, like when I came to Melbourne, I was like, I'm going to get on radio and I'm going to be a radio presenter for the next 10, 15 years and this and that. And, and before that, you know, I was like, when I was in Pakistan, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a senior, you know, serious writer and all of these things. And um, everything I've wanted to do when I was young, you know, touch wood, I've done. That's the crazy thing. I want to be a writer who wrote horror books. I've written a horror book and published it, and it went well. Like, I, I wanted to do stand-up comedy. I've done stand-up comedy regularly now for the last 15 years. So, um, I wanted to be on QI with Stephen Fry. I got to be on QI with Stephen Fry. I've, I've done the things I want to do, um, and they were amazing. Uh, but then what? You're supposed to stop after that? No, right? So it's you keep mounting. going. You, said, you start doing... So for me, it's not about, like... These right, right now, I got a job at the University of Melbourne. I'm a lecturer in, in, over there, and, and I'm wow. doing a PhD. And I'm like, all right, so I know for the next three and a half to four years, I have to do a PhD. Yeah. That's my next thing. And who knows? If I finish it, great. If I fail at it, who knows? And I'll just figure out what to do next after that. I don't make any predictions anymore. I don't bother. You're a lecturer at Melbourne Uni. Yeah, I just started recently. Yeah. Can you can can elaborate on that? I'm very fascinated by that. I started off um, when uh, just before the pandemic started in 2020. I was looking for work. I was Uber driving and, and you know like doing all of that stuff. And and uh, I reached out to Melbourne University because someone said, hey, you know, you can get a job as a tutor. Um, they have. Uh, University classes need tutors, people to, yeah. you know, be, run the tutorials and, and create the papers. And it pays all right. Like, it's not great, but it pays a little bit. And I was like, yeah. So I talked to them and they're like, yeah, sure. You know, you've got a lot of experience as a journalist. Come on board. So I tutored for them for the last two and a half years. Um, and that, became, that was like almost something I was doing almost full time in terms of like it was in terms of the salary. For the last two and a half years, it's been tutoring and doing comedy and stuff. And, um, and then a job opening came up where they were like, hey, you know, this is for an academic, like it's a proper lecturer position. And I was like, I'm really enjoying this. I'm really enjoying being a lecturer. I'm really enjoying being uh, a tutor, at least. Um, and I would really like to take this to the next level. So then, yeah, I applied for PhD, got into the RMIT PhD program in journalism and with the focus on new satire. So mm -hmm. like I get to still do new satire as part of my PhD. And um, and yeah, I lecture in uh, journalism now at, at University of Melbourne, which is cool. Like I, very cool. I for me, that's very like cool. that's cool. If my teachers ever find out, they'll commit suicide because I was a <laughs> terrible student. Like not this I'm guy. An, I'm an indictment of the education system. The failure, all the failures of the education system are evident in me. The fact that like someone who failed as much as I can can get this is is terrible. But I, yeah, it's it's my new thing. I never two years ago, I never would have predicted this. Mm. So wow. there's no point predicting stuff. Just do the stuff you're doing as best as you can and try to make it fun for yourself and, and, and find happiness in it. And I think, you know, sometimes you'll be broke and miserable and sometimes you'll be happy or whatever, but at least you're doing stuff you like. Well, um, something personal, like I was like, I'm, I'm six years old in Australia. Mm. And I thought you were just going to be, I'm six years old, full <laughs> stop. Like, well, you are <laughs> you're maturing much older than well. Than like, <laughs> get out of the sun, man. <laughs> um, so it's hard for, I'm so I'm 25. Yeah. And it's hard for me to find out what's my next thing. Why do you need to know? What do you want to do? I don't know. Cool. That means you that's, can try 10 different things yeah, and fail exactly it all. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to tell him as well. I, oh, I was talking there's to no Dan stakes said, at all. Yeah. I just turned 25 and it's very scary. Why? Yeah, exactly. You're Why? so stupidly young. <laughs> You're, oh my god! Back when I was 25, like I didn't know I, I didn't know shit, and I thought I knew. Yeah. But also, more importantly, like do you understand? I'm 44 years old. Yeah. I'm yeah. 19 years older than you. Wow. Right? Yeah. I am a whole fully grown teenager older than you. <laughs> it's taken me that long to fail this much mm -hmm. to get to the point where I'm just happy to fail now because I'm like I don't know how to be a success but I know how to fail, fail. Yeah. that's all I've learned the fact that the most important thing which I genuinely wish someone had told me because in Pakistan and India we're not told this because you're not supposed to fail you're supposed to succeed yes yeah. is it's okay to fail no one tells you what success is though yeah it's like I mean look just... there's arbitrary <laughs> bullshit right like okay yeah. like you gotta get married yes I did it all right I did everything right, right? So, okay, I didn't, I didn't get a degree <laughs> in computer science, but I got a degree from a foreign university. Yes. Um, I went back to Pakistan. I returned to the motherland uh, with a degree in a foreign university. I got a job in a multinational ad agency as a senior like, art director role right away. 
um, very young. I was one of the youngest creative directors in the whole country. Um, I I got married, you know, like my partner, she was amazing. My, like, my ex-wife, like she, she was getting a degree in psychology, um, lived at home with my parents. We had a kid, like did everything, everything right. right. In the end, we got divorced because life's hard. We got married too young. We realized we're becoming two separate people. No bitterness, no acrimony. We raise our kids separately and together. We week on, week off parenting. Um, I went on to do journalism. I went on to do stand-up comedy. I went on to now do, like, whatever. I'm twice divorced at this point. In, in Pakistan and India, fucking kill yourself. <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? You yeah. got twice, twice divorced? divorced? You brought shame on the family? family? Yes, fuck the fuck. family. <laughs> fuck the family, man. Everyone in my family is fucked up. They just hide their shit in different yes. ways. Yes. Um, culture is a noose mm. around your neck. Like, it's not good, all right? And and one of the things is, you. it stops you from finding out how happy you are. There was a really interesting... Who's, I can't remember whose thing I was listening to recently. Um, and it was an interview with South Asian, uh, a South Asian performer. I cannot remember which one. And they were saying that you always have this where... People in their 40s and 50s, their father dies. Mm -hmm. And then, then they suddenly go, oh, th this is what I want to do with my life. Because now the weight and pressure of the father's expectations are no longer there. Um, you know, that's a big pain. Like, success is usually all these things. You got to get married, got to have a kid, got to have a house, got to have a thing. Should I still rent? <laughs> like, it sucks. <laughs> it's not ideal. On the Pakistani marriage market, I ain't worth shit. shit the yeah. only thing I have going for me right now is I have a foreign passport. That's the only uh, thing. But fuck them. Like, I, I love the, who I am now. I really do. I'm really happy with myself. I'll fail again. Mm. Something will go wrong. My current relationship will fall apart or I'll lose the job at the university or I'll get hit by a car as soon as I leave here and lose the power of walking. Yeah. And what? Who the fuck knows, man? I but I, here's what I know. It doesn't matter how many times I fail, I'll still figure something else out. I've, I've, got, I've got friends around me. I've got family around me. I've got my own ingenuity. Is that confidence or arrogance? It's neither. I think it's, it's, part it's of wisdom. Life. It's part of life to wow. fail. It's okay. it, you can't have confidence in an arrogance in failing, mm. right? But it's an important thing to learn. Is it's okay to fail? Oh, you're gonna fail so many times. I right right now. I, I uh, someone asked me, hey, can you write a few ideas for scripts and stuff? I have, I have a literary agent. I wrote a few scripts and it's out there, right? In the market, in the, in the script writing, screenwriting marketplace, a few of my scripts are floating around. Every few weeks, I get a call saying, so-and-so production company wants to meet you because they really like your script. And then they meet you and then nothing comes of it because <clears throat> they meet with a thousand people. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, I got my hopes up for a little while. Yeah. And now again, I've like failed. Mm. It's like, it is a failure. Yes. You get rejected all the time. Yeah, you just have to be used you to match it. match a new girl on Bumble There's and she yeah. doesn't take you back. roundabouts <laughs> yeah, as well. Exactly. One thing fails, another thing may not fail. Everything, you're 25, right? Yes. Everything you do now is shit. Yeah. yeah. Every relationship anything. you have now will yeah. be shit. Yeah. Every art you come up with will be shit. This podcast is going to be terrible. <laughs> I, that's what I tell then all this. There's going to be three people listening to this. I mm. might as well just be myself all the time but everything you learn from now and fail at now will make you better eventually at 10 years from now mm. when you're doing the different the 2.0 3.0 version of this just give yourself that freedom to fail if you don't know what you want to do yes. try 10 15 30 different things. things if you still can't figure it out fuck it you're one of those people who just doesn't really want to focus on that you want to focus on something else you know you want to focus on your family you want to focus on meditation who knows you want to fucking become a tattoo artist who gives a fuck photography is my thing sammy then do that yeah mm. i've always been that guy like you, you told me they do a photography podcast why the fuck are you talking to me <laughs> <laughs> well we have photographers coming um in in the yeah. next ones and since Dan is a comedian, uh, com comedy enthusiast, yeah. and so we have comedians as yeah. well. Yeah. So we Harmons exactly. a photography enthusiast. I'm a very much embedded in the comedy, comedy nerd fandom. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. Then exactly. Then like figure, do the thing. If you love photography, by the way, you might never become a great photo photographer. Mm. There's a billion, billion photographers photog out there. Everyone can take good pictures. But uh, yeah, fucking <laughs> yeah. AVAD yeah, for the I phone know. thinks they're a photographer now. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, you'll be doing a thing that you love doing. And in an ideal world, you can make money doing it and you don't have to do anything else if that's what you want to do. Um, who knows? You've done podcasts, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. How are we doing? 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's too early to tell. <laughs> no, but it's too early to tell. I can't. I'll have to listen back to it. I have no idea. Yeah. No. It's a conversation podcast. Yes. There's a billion of those right now. Yeah. What's going to What's going to make, make yours different? Different. Why will not the people who know you, mm. the people who don't know you, mm. listen to you? Why will the people who don't know your guests even mm. listen to you? That's the thing you've got to think about. But it's also, at the end of the day. <laughs> Hey, do you need this for the salary? Is this going to pay your rent? No. We're doing this strictly because it's a creative outlet for yeah. the both of us. And, I love so the fucking, and we love it. Fuck the success So, like, I, I told Harmon straight from the beginning, don't look at the comments. Don't even oh, yeah. worry oh. if we succeed or fail. Let's just no. do it because we love it. The, my, the, I do a podcast right now. Um, it's a new satire podcast. It comes out once a week. It's 15 minutes. It takes me a day to make a 15-minute podcast, it doesn't make sense on any level. It is an impractical thing to do. Yes. I only do it because I want to do it, because I enjoy doing it. It's a challenge for me, and I'm, I'm learning a lot by doing it. The first episode went out to 30 people. Mm -hmm. I'm on episode 62 right now. I have close to 10,000 listeners. Mm. Now, every single time I've checked the numbers, I've thought, well, this isn't fucking worth it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I when I had 30 people, I was like, this is a waste of time. There was only 30 people listening. When I, now, when I have close to 10,000 listeners, I'm like, this is a waste of time. There's only 10,000 people listening. Mm. Like, everyone else's podcast has 50,000 listeners. It's, but I like doing it for myself. That, and this, this one or two hours, I mean, we've done, this is the sixth one. For me, time and space doesn't exist because yeah. I'm having so much fun here. Exactly. And uh, I think this is the right um, time to uh, wrap this up. Then, um, Sammy, we have this new thing mm -hmm. that we ask questions that the previous guest left you. Okay. And I want you to come oh, up with God. another question that right. you're going to... Wait, wait, what question did Josh leave for me? Uh, well, you, I think you glazed over it. Josh left a question for you that how was how was your experience in that... Um, in that, that that town in WA. Town, oh, yes. Northern. Northern, okay. yes. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All Northern, right. thank yeah. you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I thought Josh would trip me up more than that. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think he, went, he, knew what, he knew I'd go on a rant and do the podcast. I think that's what happened. Um, who's your next guest? Um, we have a bar manager on in in the next episode. A bar yes. manager I used to work with. Yes. He works at various hotels around Melbourne. Yeah. yeah. He's a bar manager. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, but why, why bar manager? <laughs> okay. Okay. Why well, that specifically? That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's how it. was your? How was? Do you want to just add something funny to? And how do you lose your virginity? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I saw your Instagram post, Sammy, um, that you posted. That you were sitting in your room, and you said, "Oh uh, yeah, yeah." I, I stayed virgin for a very long time. It was how old were you when? Oh my god, thirteen. Thirteen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. that's yeah, very young. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's very young. <laughs> okay, um, Sammy, buddy. Yep. They'll say thank you very much. Thank you so much for, for being here. here, and um, I feel like this is not enough time to get deep into psychology. But mm -hmm. I hope to have you again on. We hope to have you um, again on this podcast, and yeah, hopefully yeah. we do uh, do better. Yeah, yeah. And this uh, is great. We're gonna keep doing this, and thank you so Just much. Just have fun with it; you'll be fine. Yeah. We're gonna have yeah. we're gonna have a lot of fun. Exactly, yeah. Samisha. Thank you so much thank for being here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.